All right, please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Title to our message this morning is The Peculiar Presence of Christ with His People. As you're turning there, please remember the great promise that is given to us that blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled, they shall be satisfied. That's the promise this morning, that we will be satisfied with the Word of God. Our focus verses are going to be in verses 10 through 12, but let's pick up in verse 7. Recall this is Moses before the burning bush, the angel of the Lord, who is the pre-incarnate Christ, is speaking to Moses, starting in verse 7. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. The word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit now, that we would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the height and depth and breadth and length, that we would know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, that right now we would be filled with the fullness of God. Lord, remind us that we are hearing from heaven now, that we are seated in the heavenlies with Christ as you speak to your people. So please give us eyes to see the hope to which we've been called to. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen. All right, you may be seated. The reason why we're going so slow, perhaps you think painfully slow, through these opening chapters in the book of Exodus is because all of the important questions are answered in these first chapters. So what is the main plot line. Well, Egypt, the seed of the serpent, has enslaved and systematically murdered Israel, who is the seed of the woman. Why did God decide to rescue Israel? Because he remembered his covenant of grace. We saw that in chapter 2. Who did he send to announce this rescue? the angel of the Lord in the burning bush, who is the pre-incarnate Christ. 
How could an 80-year-old man, Moses, possibly succeed in freeing 2.5 million slaves from the most powerful military power in the world? And that's the answer in our text this morning. Christ says, because I will be with you. This passage this morning is, is really foundational to the rest of the book. Uh, where did Moses find his uh, courage, his leadership, his boldness, his power, his perseverance, his success when he returned to Egypt? Well, the peculiar presence of Christ was with him. This is why the teenage David could defeat the nine and a half foot tall Goliath. This is why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego defied Nebuchadnezzar. This is why the Apostle Paul endured beatings and imprisonments and martyrdom. And, and this is why you, as a Christian man or a Christian woman or a Christian child, can go and face the world today with no fear. Not because you know the future, not because you know all the details of how it's going to be spelled out, but because the peculiar presence of Christ has been promised to you. That's why, like Moses, we will gain the victory. So here's our big idea this morning. When Christ commissions his people, that's what he did with Moses, he grants his peculiar presence, which guarantees our victory. So let's begin then with um, our doctrine. So let's reorient ourselves, just recall that uh, Moses is here before the burning bush. Uh, the Son of God is speaking to him. Christ just told Moses that he had seen and heard. He knows of their afflictions. But nonetheless, he, Christ, is going to come down, deliver them out of the land of Egypt, and bring them into the land of milk and honey. And so we begin with verse 7. So God just told Moses what he's going to do, and now he's going to tell Moses what he expects Moses to do. Verse 10, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, you could call this the, the great commission of the Old Testament. Uh, God is sending Moses to stand before Pharaoh to speak the words of the Lord and to free two and a half million slaves out of Egypt into the promised land. And I think you have to feel what's being asked of Moses here. Uh, Christ is commanding the impossible. Moses is, is 80 years old. Moses understood this. Look at verse 11. He immediately saw the implication. He said, but who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I, God? It's a rhetorical question. Moses is saying, I'm, I'm nothing. I have no account. I can't possibly accomplish this task. I mean, consider the facts. He, he is an old man. He's a man without strength. He is an outlaw. He left Egypt 40 years earlier uh, with a death sentence hanging over him. He had no earthly authority. Yes, he was the prince of Egypt at one point, but he had forfeited that title when he left. 
And he had a lowly occupation. He was just a shepherd. An occupation that was an abomination to the Egyptians. So how could Moses walk into Pharaoh's court with this type of resume and achieve success? I mean, it'd be a bit like God sending a five-year-old to Washington, D.C. to convince Congress and the president to outlaw all abortions. I mean, the most brilliant lawyer, Christian lawyers have been fighting this for 50 years with no success. How could a five-year-old possibly succeed in that mission? But the takeaway here is that God commands of us impossible things all the time. God commands of us impossible things. Here's just a few. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's impossible. Disciple the nations. Love one another just as I have loved you. Count others more significant than yourselves. Give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances? Dear congregation, you need to recognize that that what God commands of you is the impossible. So here's the upshot. If you're faced with uh, circumstances that seem impossible right now, that's a good sign. Because unbelievers, when they see God's people um, accomplishing impossible things, God gets the glory because the only explanation is God must have done that. And that's precisely how we see Christ answering Moses. Look at verse 12. He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Why will Moses have success? Well, not because of anything in Moses, but because Christ will be with him. And then Christ offers this somewhat strange proof that Christ is really sending him. He says, this will be the sign. I'm going to bring you back to this very mountain that you're on right now, and, and the people will worship me. This, of course, seems to be a strange sign because the sign will come after the deed is done. Now, we're going to see the glory of this sign in chapter 19 when two and a half million Israelites show up at the mount to worship God. But in the meantime, let's consider this promise that Christ tells Moses, I will be with you. I think sometimes we can read over phrases like this in Scripture and not think hard about what's being said. Theologians have recognized that there are different presences of Christ in the Scripture. Consider just four different ways that the Scripture talks about Christ's presence. First of all, Christ is omnipresent. He's everywhere present. Uh, As the second person of the Trinity, God the Son is just like 
God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, he is present in all places, in all realms, visible or invisible. He fills both heaven and earth, Jeremiah 23, 24. There's no place that you can flee from his spirit. There's no place you can go from his presence, Psalm 139, 7. So there is nowhere where God the Son is not. Secondly, Christ is said to be incarnationally present. Incarnationally present. This is what we're celebrating at Christmas. Uh, Father sent the Son into the world, and he put on flesh. Matthew 1.23, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this is what you have to understand about the incarnational presence of Christ, that it is tied to a specific location because he has a human nature. Right now, the incarnated Christ is not here. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Thirdly, we understand that Christ is covenantally present. That he's covenantally present. For those who believe the gospel, that Christ came and lived and died and was buried and that he rose again from the dead, Christ is with you covenantally, meaning that he has bound himself to you, that he can never leave you nor forsake you. God is your God and you are his people. Christ will not lose anyone that the Father has given him, but he will raise them up on the last day. And then fourthly, Christ is present in the church. Christ is present right now in a different way than those three ways we just mentioned. This is the promise in both Testaments. Exodus 20, 24. He says, in every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. And then Matthew 18, 28, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, in the worship services of the church, Christ is especially present. Hebrews 6 tells us what happens That's what's happening right now. He says that we are being enlightened. We are tasting the heavenly gift. We are sharing in the Holy Spirit that we are tasting the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Why do those things specifically happen in the worship of the church? Because Christ is present in a special way. Now we can speak about more of the presences of Christ. We can speak about his heavenly presence in glory, that Psalm 16, 11, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Or we can speak about the wrathful presence of Christ in hell. Isaiah 33, 14, trembling has seized the godless. Who can dwell with the consuming fire? So suffice it to say, we must acknowledge that Christ is present in different ways according to the scripture. And so that brings us then to Christ's peculiar presence, his enlightening, empowering, emboldening presence that he gives to those that he commissions to go into the world. That brings us to our doctrine this morning. When Christ 
commissions his people. He grants his peculiar presence, which guarantees our victory. When Christ commissions his people, he grants his peculiar presence, which guarantees our victory. Okay, I told you that um, we're reading through Fellowship of the Ring, so Exodus is going to be filled with these illustrations. Boys and girls, children, do you remember when Frodo and his band of hobbits, uh, they didn't quite make it to the end of the Prancing Pony yet. They were traveling through the old forest. And they got into some trouble. They got sleepy, they got lost, and they leaned up against the willow tree. And the willow tree wasn't an ordinary willow tree. It came alive, and it swallowed up Mary and Pippin and started squeezing them to death. How were they rescued? Well, the mysterious Tom Bombadil came along, and he sang his magic to the trees, and the, the hobbits were rescued. And whenever Tom accompanied them on their journey, they were rescued from every danger that they faced. And this is the kind of presence that Christ is promising Moses in this passage. Moses was not defeated by Pharaoh precisely because Christ was with him in this peculiar, this special, this uncommon, this wonderful way. And this is not an isolated phenomenon. This actually happens all over the scripture. So consider five proofs that when Christ commissions his people, he sends his presence, he guarantees them victory. So proof number one is Jacob's commission. Proof number one is Jacob's commission. Please turn with me to Genesis 46, 2 through 4. Genesis 46, 2 through 4. This was immediately after Jacob had learned that Joseph was alive and that he and his family uh, began their journey to Egypt. So we're picking up in verse 2, Genesis 46. God spoke to Israel, that's Jacob, in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. So there's Jacob's commission, go to Egypt. Continuing, for there I will make you into a great nation. There's the promise of victory. Verse four, I myself will go down with you to Egypt. So there's the Lord's peculiar promise of his presence. So Jacob obeyed the Lord, the Lord went with him, and he was granted success. Proof number two, Joshua's commission. Joshua's commission. Please turn with me to Deuteronomy 31, 23. So here we begin with the Lord commissioning Joshua to take over the leadership from Moses because he's about to die. And so we're picking up in verse 23, Deuteronomy 31. And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. So there's the promise of success. I will be with you. There's the promise of his peculiar presence. So Joshua obeyed. The Lord went with him, 
And in the book of Joshua, we see Israel taking the promised land. Proof number three, Gideon's commission. Gideon's commission. Please turn with me to Judges chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. Judges chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. So here, uh, Gideon is speaking with the Lord, and it very much mirrors God's dialogue with Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Picking up in verse 14, Judges 6. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. So there's Gideon's commission. Go fight Midian. Verse 15. And he said, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, the promise of his peculiar presence. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. There's the promise of the victory. So Gideon obeyed, the Lord went with him. He defeated Midian and saved Israel. Look next at proof number four. This is Jeremiah's commission. Jeremiah's commission. Please turn with me to Jeremiah 15, 20. Now, in chapter 1, God had already commissioned Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations, but here we see the promised victory and the Lord's peculiar presence. So, picking up in Jeremiah 15, 20, and I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. So there's the promise of victory. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. There's the Lord's promise of his peculiar presence. So Jeremiah obeyed, and Jeremiah faced incredible hardships. He was persecuted, thrown into a well, almost died, but he wasn't crushed like his disobedient countrymen. And then finally, proof number five is Paul's commission. Proof number five is Paul's commission. Please turn with me to Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. So here the apostle Paul is preaching in the city of Corinth, and he just came under incredible opposition uh, from the, the Jews that were living in the city. We read, picking up in Acts 18, verse 9, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. So there's Paul's commission, keep preaching. Verse 10, for I am with you. That's Christ's promise of his peculiar presence. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. There's the promise of victory. So Paul obeyed, and Christ was with him, and Nero was not allowed to cut off his head until he preached the gospel to the whole empire. So in, in summary, uh, the reason why Moses overcame his fear the reason why he was bold before Pharaoh and that he overthrew Egypt was because Christ was with him. 
That's our doctrine. When Christ commissions his people, he grants us his peculiar presence and guarantees the victory. So let's look then at our duty. And this is going to get very practical in a moment, but first we need to answer an objection that might arise in our mind. Um, We might immediately conclude, because I've not laid out what this victory looks like yet, so we might immediately conclude, well, wait a second. Just because Christ's peculiar presence guaranteed Moses' success and all of these other biblical characters, that doesn't mean that we have the same guaranteed success today. After all, there are many Christians that have been tortured and persecuted and saw no success and have seen no victory. I think that's a really good objection. So how do we answer that? Well, we have to rightly define what we mean by success and victory. Um, Were Jacob and Joshua and Gideon and Jeremiah and Paul and Moses, were they all promised victory for the sake of themselves as individuals? No. No, they were not. They were promised victory for the sake of the Lord and his kingdom. Uh, The Lord told Moses in Exodus 19, uh, 916, that God had orchestrated this whole affair, the Exodus, in order to show his power so that his name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Was Moses successful at that? Absolutely he was. Penultimately, though, they were promised victory for the sake of God's people. So ultimately for the sake of the Lord, penultimately for the sake of God's people. In other words, the victory that was promised was a corporate victory. The Lord wasn't telling uh, Moses, hey, I'm going to grant you individual success. He's saying, no, I'm going to grant you success for the sake of my people. There were 10 great persecutions um, in the Roman Empire against the early Christian church in the first through third centuries. The 10th persecution was so full of horror uh, that it made the other nine to seem obscure. And this 10th persecution fell under the reign of Emperor Diocletian, who reigned from 284 to 305 A.D. Church historian Philip Schaff records that uh, Diocletian issued edicts that called for Christian churches to be destroyed, all copies of the Bible to be burned, all Christians to be deprived of public office and civil rights, and all, without exception, were to sacrifice to the gods upon the pain of death. It was a, uh, since the Roman Empire essentially encompassed the world at this point. It was worldwide persecution of every Christian on earth. Eusebius, another historian, records uh, he was living at the time. He saw with his own eyes houses of prayer were raised to the ground, the holy scriptures committed to the flames on the marketplaces, the pastors were hunted, tortured, and torn to pieces in the amphitheater. He recorded that the beasts were so full of Christian flesh that they refused to eat. 
and that the bloody swords became dull and the executioners grew weary and had to relieve each other. But Christians sang hymns of praise and thanksgiving in honor of Almighty God, even to their last breath. The Puritan Thomas Brooks writes, Such was the presence of Christ with his people in those times that religion prospered and prevailed more than ever so that Diocletian himself, observing that the more he sought to blot out the name of Christ, it became more legible. The more he sought to block up the way of Christ, it became more passable. And the more of Christ he sought to root out, it rooted the deeper and rose the higher. Diocletian retired utterly defeated. Do you know who came next? Constantine. This was, the 10th persecution was the last throw of heathenism's gasping for breath. And, and it, did, it threw everything it possibly could at the Christian church. And what happened? Christianity exploded. Um, did those, so, so here's the question. Did those persecuted saints, the ones that got fed to the beasts, the ones that had their heads cut off, the ones that were burned in the fire, did they suffer defeat? No, quite the contrary. The more of their blood that was shed, the more the gospel spread, the more the church grew. The, the persecuted church has never, ever, ever had victory stolen from them, not once. Christ who is with them guarantees that not one drop of blood is shed in vain. So that answers our objection. When Christ is purely with his people, persecution always backfires into victory, always. Maybe not on our timetable, not when we, maybe when we want to see it, not maybe in the places where we want to see it, but it ultimately will backfire. That brings us then to our second duty. We need to consider what Christ's peculiar presence with us looks like. How do we know that that's happening? How did Christ manifests himself to, to, to Moses, his presence to Moses, and how can we know if Christ is peculiarly with me? Do you, do you know if Christ is peculiarly with you? Well, Christ, every Christian actually has a great deal in common with Moses. Um, just as Christ commissioned Moses and promised to be with him, he's done the same with us. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, to go therefore make disciples of all nations. That's our commission, the great commission. And then Christ adds the promise of his peculiar presence. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So then how did Christ manifest himself with Moses in the Exodus account? in a way that we can expect that he will do the same with us. Well, let's consider five things. Number one, Christ's peculiar presence increases your faith. 
Christ's peculiar presence increases your faith. In Exodus 14, near the end of their time in Egypt, Pharaoh came out with his chariots and he had Israel backed up against the edge of the Red Sea. And it looked like certain death for the Jews. They cried out to Moses and they began rebuking Moses. Wasn't there enough graves in Egypt? Why didn't you just leave us there? Didn't we tell you to leave us alone? Yet Moses, because Christ's peculiar presence was with him, his heart was full of faith. He was overflowing with faith. This is what he said to the people of Israel in Exodus 14, 13 and 14. Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Loved ones, your faith increasing over the the time of you being a Christian is the result of Christ's peculiar presence with you. Why is your faith stronger now than when you first believed? Because Christ has been with you. He's been feeding your faith with himself, with his peculiar presence. Secondly, Christ's peculiar presence gathers allies to your side. Christ's peculiar presence gathers allies to your side. In Exodus chapter 4, before Moses leaves the mount, he asks God to send someone else. And of course, Moses is sinfully resisting God here, but Christ condescended to his weakness nonetheless. In verse 27, the Lord fetches Aaron for Moses. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. God gave Moses an ally for the fight. Dear congregation, I hope this is true about you. and, And if it's not, I will be this person for you. You have brothers and sisters that you can call in the middle of the night with no explanation, I need help. Will you help me? And they will come. Why? Because Christ is with you and he is gathering allies. That's what the the body of Christ is. He's gathering errands and Miriam's for your aid. Your relationships in the church are not an accident. They are a manifestation of Christ with you. Number three, Christ's peculiar presence gives us boldness with our enemies. Christ's peculiar presence gives us boldness with our enemies. Recall that when Moses had left Egypt the first time. He was afraid. He was afraid of the king. But when he returned with Christ, no matter how many times Pharaoh threatened him, he was bold and fearless. Boys and girls, 
Christ's presence makes you bold and fearless. Do you remember in Pilgrim's Progress when Christian, he's approaching the palace called Beautiful, and it's a representation of the church, and it's at night, and it's scary, and on the path, there's, there's two lions that are right, right next to the path, and he has to pass by those lions to get to the church, and he's afraid, and he almost turns back, but the porter from the lodge calls to him, and he says, don't worry, the, the lions are on a chain. They can't hurt you. It's such a glorious picture. When Christ is with us, the lions cannot harm you. Even when you pass through the valley of the shadow of death, not one hair on your head will perish. Of ones, this should give you a great boldness with the enemies of God. The Lord is your helper. Who, who do you need to be afraid of? What can man do to you? The most cruel tyrant is at best a chained lion. You may perish, but not a hair on your head will, will, will fail. Number four, Christ's peculiar presence causes harm to turn to good. Christ's peculiar presence causes harm to turn to good. Every evil that Pharaoh did against Israel worked out for her good. Pharaoh kept up his cruelty through the ten plagues, and even when they finally left Egypt, he pursued them at the Red Sea. But because Christ was with them, even that turned out for their good. Do you, do you realize that the destruction of Pharaoh at the Red Sea was heard around the world? Rahab, when Joshua came into the land, she told the spies in Joshua 2, 9 through 10, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you and you came out of Egypt. Dear congregation, all the evil that the, the current pharaohs are pouring out against God's people, it's going to end in the same way. Whatever evil has been done against you, however you have been made a victim, even if your father and your mother have left you, because Christ is with you, he actually turns all of those afflictions into blessing. You, you know that's what a skillful apothecary does? Apothecary is the old name for someone who makes medicine. Apothecaries would take harmful and even poisonous substances that by themselves would harm you. And he would skillfully mix them together and he would turn it into a medicine that would be for your good. For we know that God causes all things to work together for the good for those who love him. That's what Christ does in all of our afflictions. Number five, Christ's peculiar presence leads us in the path that we should go. Christ's peculiar presence leads us in the path that we should go. Because Christ was with Moses, he constantly led him in the path that he ought to go. And this was very clearly seen, especially when they left Egypt and the 
pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud led them by the way. Do you realize that when they left Egypt, God led them the, the long way? In Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, he says, I'm not going to take them through Philistia, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So Christ led them on a longer path, a different path, for their own good. Dear congregation, that's precisely what Christ does with you. This is how you can know that he's with you. He often leads you on longer paths, even uncomfortable paths for your own good. Think of how, think of much of that, how much of that path through COVID two years ago and, and through some of those draconian governmental regulations, think about how that path has actually blessed the church. I'm not saying by itself. I'm saying what God did through it. How many of you have been led against your own will in the last three years and have found yourself in greener pastures? How many of you have been enlightened more deeply in the Christian worldview because Christ was leading you in places that you didn't want to go and now you're looking back and you're like, man, I am so glad. I don't ever want to do that again. I am so glad that Christ took me through that path. That's his, this is evidence of his, him leading you. So those are our, our duties. That we need to arrest those objections in our mind that, that Christ with us and guaranteeing the victory, victory doesn't necessarily mean individual victory right here and right now, but it's corporate victory, it's it's victory for the glory of God. And then we need to consider specifically how Christ is with us. Why is your faith increasing? Why do you have spiritual brothers and sisters that you can depend on? Why are you growing bolder? Why are evil things working out for your good? Why are you being led down good paths that you didn't choose? Because Christ is with you. So let's finally then look at our delight. And here's our delight. We don't get a better Christ than, than Moses had, but we do get Christ better. That's what we're remembering during Advent, that Christ Jesus became Emmanuel, God with us. Moses got... Christ on a blazing mountain, but we get Christ in a manger. Moses got Christ as the angel of the Lord, but we get Christ as God in the flesh. Moses got a Christ who slew Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but we get a Christ who is slain for us, for our sins. Moses got a Christ who parted the Red Sea. We get a Christ who parted death and was raised to life on the third day. Loved ones, you get Christ better. You get a Christ who already defeated the Pharaoh of this world. You get a Christ who right now is ruling and reigning from the right hand of God. And that's the Christ that's present with you right now. And therefore, here's my charge. Here's my charge. 
Know that as you go out into the world, as you go out into the workplace, into your home, um, that wherever you are, know and believe and trust that Christ has commissioned you just like Moses. That great commission is to be fulfilled in whatever influence or whatever sphere that God has put you in. So every Christian is a full-time, in full-time Christian ministry. Uh, whether you're a parent or a plumber or a politician. And because of that, Christ has promised to be with you always, even to the end of the world. So know and believe and trust that Christ is with you. And because of that, you cannot fail. Um, yes, you, you, many of you, many of us are going to have great hardship but he's going to turn those harmful, poisonous things into medicine. Know and trust and believe that the lions that you face are on the, the chain. That even if they devour your body, they cannot devour your soul. Know and trust and believe that because Christ is with you, the only thing that comes against you is weakness. That all who are against you are against God himself. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't yet belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, then, then know that you belong to the losing side. Pharaoh and all of Egypt could not stand against one weak 80-year-old man because Christ was with him. So if you don't belong to Christ this morning, how will you stand against him? It's madness to oppose him, and you can't succeed. But you can experience the saving presence, the covenantal presence, the peculiar presence of Christ, this morning even, if you call upon his name. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only will you have your sins forgiven, not only will Christ dwell in your heart by faith, but you will gain eternal life. That's the promise of the gospel. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I plead with you to believe on Christ if you've not done that this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for showing us the weakness of Moses showing us the task that he had is impossible. Lord, that we can look at our own lives and, and see the things that you've called us to, even the daily faithfulness of loving our wives and loving our children and sometimes feel like these are impossible tasks. But Lord, we thank you that just like you promised to be with Moses, we know that you have promised to be with us. And therefore, Whatever specific calling you have given to us, Lord, we know that we cannot fail. Help us to see with eyes of faith, as Moses did. Help us to see as, as, say as Moses did, that the Lord will fight your victory. You only have to be silent. Pray that you would seal these words to our heart. Help us to understand them more this week as we meditate upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.